0: Welcome to Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, a podcast dedicated to conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in North Texas. I'm your host, Eric Egan. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares the parables of the lost sheep, the piece of silver, and the prodigal son. These are all tales of something or someone of value being lost and then found. In this episode, we visit with one who may be called a prodigal daughter, who left her faith for many years, but recently returned with the flames of her testimony rekindled. Our guest is Jail Ann Gillum. She lives in the Fort Worth area with her husband and three daughters. She is a trained chef and worked in kitchens for many years, and now works as a customer service call team supervisor. She is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Fort Worth North Stake. Jaelan, thank you for being a guest on this Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. This is exciting.
0: Well, let's get to know you a little bit. It would be helpful to go back to your youth. Tell us a little bit about your growing up years.
1: Well, to be completely honest, I don't remember much of it, but I was born and raised in the church is a good way to, you know, summarize it all. I moved around a lot. My dad, being a computer programmer, actually moved more than the military. Um, So we moved around a lot. I've lived in Missouri and all through Utah actually growing up. So I know exactly what a born-in-the-church Utah Mormon is and what kind of childhood that is. I remember loving doing all of the fun challenges that they used to give you, the Faith in God Award to memorize all of the articles of faith. And I got all of the young women awards and I did everything like that. And I had some great spiritual experiences going to girls camp and did seminary in high school when we moved back to Texas. So I'd like to think that I had a pretty, like a pretty average born in the church experience. I feel like my dad was very focused on wanting us to look like the perfect Mormon family And so I have, I have these memories of being at church and not wanting to be there or fighting with my siblings and how he would like threaten us under his breath that we, you have to stop, you have to be good. You have to look like you're paying attention and (laughs) how ridiculous that felt in the moment, because there's no way any of us are feeling the spirit with my dad's like nails digging into your leg because you're laughing too hard or something, you know, just being kids. So there are things like that. I do remember that when I turned eight, I didn't want to get baptized. I was living in Utah at the time, and I don't remember anyone ever asking me if I wanted to. It was just like, oh, well, you were expected to. You're eight. You get baptized when you're eight. And I remember not wanting to, and that upset my dad. And he wanted, you know, he just thought I was being obstinate, which I may have been. I mean, I'm a mom now. I know how crazy eight-year-olds can be. I didn't want to ever look back and think, well, I just got baptized because everyone told me to. Like, I wanted to get baptized because I wanted to get baptized. And I didn't want to get baptized yet. I wanted to do it on my terms, not anyone else's. And I mean, as a mom, that's a pretty intensive thought process for an eight-year-old. But I remembered that all through my childhood growing up. And I held out for a few weeks between my dad and the bishop. They cracked me and I was baptized, you know, December 3rd of 1990, which my birthday is November 11th. So I didn't quite make it a whole month. They were asking me, well, why don't you want to get baptized? I'm like, well, I just want to do it because I, I want to do it, not just because I'm expected to. And they're like, well, just because you're expected to doesn't mean that you can't want it as well. I just remember not being super excited about it. And it wasn't like a really, like, I don't look back on that and have like any good, warm, fuzzy feelings. Like I wasn't really in the spirit for it. And I think that made it easier for me to fall away later because I, I had a I had a testimony of God. I had a testimony of my of my savior, of my, you know, I had a relationship with God and I had seen spiritual things happen and I'd felt miracles and I'd, you know, I'd had seen that in my life, but I had no testimony of the church itself. I had no real testimony of the restoration. I had no real testimony of any specific doctrine it was just I knew God was real and I knew he loved me and so later it was a lot easier for me to get pulled away because I had no real testimony of the, the church itself
0: so despite the fact that you'd been to seminary and you went through institute and you'd followed <laughs> all the programs you didn't feel like you'd advanced beyond having that knowledge that there is a God but in terms of what church is the true church, That was lacking at that point, it sounds like.
1: Yes. Like, I I went to seminary. I went to institute when I graduated high school. You know, I graduated seminary. I always told myself I gave it my best shot. I did everything they asked me to. And I did because as a child, I was terrified of reprisal. Like, I didn't want to get in trouble. So I just did what I was told. But along the line, it just... I never I never had a testimony of of the church itself. And so I had what I thought was this spiritual epiphany that organized religion was the devil's best invention. It was what he created to make us all fight about God and to make us take the only sacred thing we had in the world and turn it into a reason for wars and contention and all this other stuff and I felt so smart. And I felt so right and it made everything else feel like it made sense. Oh, well, that's why this was that way. And that's why this was that way. And that's why I've always had a spiritual connection with God, but I never really cared about the church. I was never hateful about the church. I never hated the church. I never hated anyone that wanted to be in the church. I just sort of had this live and let live sort of thing where if you needed a religion to help you be close to God, then do it. And if this is the religion that helps you get close to God, then do it. Because anything that brings you close to God has to be good. But that doesn't mean anything else is wrong. And that's where I ended up. That's where my mindset was. And so then I decided that if I was going to make a choice, I was going to be honest with God because that's who I had a relationship with. And so if I wasn't going to be living my life the way an LDS member is supposed to be, I didn't need to be on the records. I didn't need to be a part of the church. I needed to be honest. I needed to make a choice and to stick with it. And so, I you know, I did the whole thing. I wrote the letter. I did my research. I went and gave it to the bishop. He asked if I wanted to talk about it. And I said, no, I've made up my mind. If I'm not going to live like this, I don't need to be on the records as a member of this church. I wasn't going to be a fence post Mormon. I was going to pick a side and I was going to do it so that I was honest with God. And so that's what led me to have my name removed. And I never once thought I was walking away from God or the spirit or anything like that. I just Decided that this specific religion wasn't what brought me closer to God, mainly because my husband very much didn't believe in this religion. And it was easier to find a common ground when there wasn't a fight over what church we were going to. At the moment, it felt like that had to be true. That had to be real. And like no one warned me about that. No one told me that the devil could make you feel absolutely right about the wrong thing. That he could make you feel so, so sure and so smart about something that was kind of true, but was way off the mark. And so I wasn't ready for that. Like I was totally sure I was making the best and noblest of decisions and was just not going to play the game the devil was puppeting all of us humans into doing. But it was walking away from the church that eventually made me lose the spirit, too.
0: How did your family, your parents and siblings react to your decision to have your name removed from the records of the church?
1: Well, I didn't exactly make a big deal about it. I don't think I really told anybody. I mean, my mom knew I'm close to my mom and um, my oldest sister, which is surprising knowing our childhood, but I'm really close to my oldest sister. And they didn't really act any different. Like they kind of knew it's like, I was, like I said, I wasn't living like a member. So I wasn't like pretending. I wasn't acting anything. I was just, you know, I was being me. I was being honest. And that was, you know, the most important thing I could think of was to just be honest about it. And so they knew, you know, they knew that my lifestyle wasn't conducive to the church. And so I can't tell you what they thought or what they felt. We weren't exactly close. So (laughs) none of them really shared their opinion with me. My mom never acted any different to me. My mom is one of the most amazing spirits I've ever met in my life. She is ridiculously Christ-like where she just, she doesn't judge anybody, but she never treated me differently.
0: And so that then started a period of about 13 years or so where you were completely away from the church. What was that time in your life like?
1: I made a comparison when I came back to church that I think is kind of perfect for it. <laughs> because in the time, I didn't feel like I was missing anything. Um, so when I first came back to the church, they had asked me to speak in state conference as one of the new members. Apparently that's something that they do. I had no idea. So they asked me to give a brief a brief talk about my about my testimony and coming back to the church and I was lost. I had no idea what to do with this. You know what I mean? Like, where do you even start? But um, I ended up giving this talk that was basically like, I, I love to read. I love to read. And there were so many times I'd be so lost in reading a book, I wouldn't even realize that the sun was going down and I was losing all my light. And I was like pulling the book closer to my face, straining to read because I wasn't even paying attention to the fact that all the lights were out, you know? And my mom would walk in on me and be like, why are you reading in the dark? And it would flip the light on and I'd be blinded. You know what I mean? And as a mom, I've done that to my kids now too. I'll go in and they'll have their phone right in front of their face and the room's dark. And I'm like, why are you sitting in the dark? And that's exactly what it felt like. Like you don't notice. Like you just, you don't notice.
0: It's just gradual.
1: I think it's because the spirit tries so hard to hold on. That, you know, he doesn't give up on you easily. So it's such a gradual thing that you don't even notice until it comes back. And then you're blinded. And you realize just how how hard life had been without it. Like, problems that weren't really, like, they were just life, you know? It's not like any of my problems went away my ability to deal with them just got better. Having God in your corner and having the spirit with you makes it easier not to lose your temper. It makes it easier not to lose hope. It makes it easier to deal with trials and not having that made life so much harder than it needed to be. And I didn't even notice.
0: (laughs) So what happened that started your journey back to the church?
1: well um my very first boyfriend i was 16 and he was getting ready to go on a mission and he had worked so hard to get to this he was such an amazing spirit he was so strong and so confident like arrogantly confident about how spiritual he was that it was kind of funny He would go around and, like, boisterously sing Call to Serve in the middle of a grocery store. Like, (laughs) just one of those guys. He was fun. And when he went on his mission... We moved because that's what we do when I was growing up. We never, like, we had a party when we lived in a house for five years because that broke every record. Like, that's just the way it was. We moved so often. And if I hadn't have gra- if I didn't graduate high school in three years, I would have moved before my senior year. Like, it's the only reason I stayed. I stayed in the same school for all of high school was because I graduated early. And, you know, that was back before social media and things like that. Like it was so hard to keep in touch with people when you moved. And so we kind of lost touch. And it was about 20 years later that he found me on Facebook and I you know, I'd already been friends with his brother, his little brother. Cause I was kind of friends with this whole family back then. Um, his mom was a single mom who worked night shifts as a nurse. And so there were many times my dad would drop us off at church and he'd go speed driving back to their house and pick up the boys so they could come to church because mom wasn't home yet. I remember my dad teaching them how to tie their ties because it was a a family of four boys and like this adorable Mexican mom that I, I love. She's adorable. But anyways, so he finds me again and he just he was in a rough place. I was living in Dallas at the time. I'd lived in Dallas at that point um, for almost a decade, and I'd never been to the temple. And so I remember I drove to the temple because my college campus I was going to was really close. So I just, during my lunch, I drove down to the temple grounds and I took some pictures of the temple and I sent it to him to make him feel better because I knew that was important to him. And he wanted to get back into good standings with the church and get his temple recommend back. And I was like, I'm here, dude, I'm here to help you. Like, let's do this. I know this is important to you, so let's do it. And so I went to the temple grounds and I took some pictures for him and sent it to him. And the more we came to talk, the more I was remembering things. And it was so many things that that felt like the oddest coincidence. And I've come to find out that God really loves situational irony. He loves it. He just, he loves it. Um, I think it's one of his favorite ways of saying, ha ha, see, I'm in charge. And I always tell people, there's no such thing as coincidence. There's just God. That's just the way it works. And what had happened was I was like at the temple, on temple grounds, sending him pictures of the temple almost the exact same day we were there 20 years ago for him to get his endowments done to go on his mission. And it was just this huge impact to me this reminder of what God felt like. So I started realizing that I was missing some of this. And then my friend died. Hmm. And uh, I kind of had this kind of spiritual awakening, this swift kick in the butt that told me I needed to go back to church. Because I promised that he would get back into good standings with the church. And so... I decided I was just going to do it myself. So I looked up my local ward. Yay for Mm LDS.org. I typed in my address and it told me exactly what ward I was in and what building to go to and what time it started. Like, yay. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I just showed up and I, I sat there sacrament meeting and I was like, Hey, who's the Bishop? And they pointed to the, the Bishop and I walked up and I was like, Hey, can I talk to you? And, He's like, of course. And, you know, he had no idea who I was, but was so nice about it. He was like, sure, of course. And we walked into his office and I was like, so, um, I left the church about 13 years ago and had my name removed and I need to get back now. Um, how do we do that? (laughs) And unbeknownst to me, that was that poor man's very first Sunday as bishop. (laughs) He had just been (laughs) called as bishop because God knew I needed that man. So he was like, I don't know. Let's find out. And we did. We had a bunch of meetings and I told him my whole story and why I wanted to come back. And he was like, well, let's start, you know, let's start having you take missionary lessons with the missionaries, which were sisters, which is totally fun because my husband was not so happy with my choice. So (laughs) being able to meet with the sisters was very, very therapeutic and very nice.
0: So you begin that process in visiting with your bishop, and ultimately that led you to some ordinances.
1: Yes, I had to get rebaptized, which kind of made sense, I guess, because when I left the church, they told me that it was undoing everything. So uh, I ended up messaging my family. And so I, I texted him and I made this joke that I was like, so I guess I'm getting baptized again. So whether you like it or not, I guess I'm going to be your sister again. Um, kind of making a joke about the fact that it's going to redo our, my sealing as well, because I was born under the covenant. So I was automatically sealed to my family. So coming back to the church was going to reinstate that. And so I kind of made that joke because that's me and I joke about everything. And I wasn't expecting it, but my family was really excited. They were all not only really excited, but they all wanted to be there. They all wanted to be a part of it. And that baffled me. I was like, you guys were at the first one. Why do you want to be at the second one? And they're like, no, this is important. We want to be there. So I was like, okay, when can you all get to Texas? Because they don't all live in Texas. And so I ended up postponing my baptism by about six weeks so that it would coordinate with a time that all of my family could come to Texas. And uh, my brother ended up baptizing me. Um, My brother-in-law confirmed me. And my sister spoke, my mom spoke, two of my sisters were witnesses. I had a sister that said a prayer and my dad said a prayer. So it was like baptism brought to you by the Kreitz clan. And uh, (laughs) it was amazing. It was one of the best experiences of my life. And I feel really blessed that I got a chance to have a baptism that really meant that much to me. Because I... Don't think of my first baptism that way, you know. Like I had said earlier, I just I don't even remember much about it. I only vaguely remember the picture in my book about it. But this one, I get a chance to remember all of it.
0: And how special to have your whole family here for that. That's just wonderful. So once you were baptized and you're getting re-energized, we should mention from a timing perspective, your baptism was in 2019.
1: Yes, I was baptized October um, 19th 2019, I believe something like that. Um, the date's weirdly hard to remember. I had this amazing experience afterwards when the when I was told by my bishop that my baptism date isn't recorded in my in my membership because what it did was it just reverted back to my original
0: as if you'd never been away
1: as if I'd ever gone anywhere. Yeah. So oddly enough, that date's kind of hard to remember.
0: And then you had a goal to go to the temple.
1: Yes. I needed to go to the temple.
0: And so you did get there. I did. Was that another family gathering as well?
1: It was. We had planned it before the shutdown had happened. My bishop had told me I needed to wait the year. My entire family was already like texting dates that were best for them. And we kind of came up with November 7th and we're like, okay, November 7th it is. And I even called the temple and I made an appointment. I'm like, I know it's a year in advance, but can we do that? And they're like, oh yeah. And then everything shut down. And I was like, well, I guess we'll see. And what do you know, somewhere about mid-October, the Dallas Temple opened up for personal endowments. And I immediately emailed them to get on the schedule. And I'm like, I had an appointment on November 7th. Can we still do that? And I got a phone call from the adorable lady that's in charge of it. I talked to her so many different times coordinating all of this. And she's so sweet. And she was like, well, we're prioritizing missionaries, especially ones that are out in the field already. And I'm like, oh, of course, do that. Absolutely. I'm not stopping you. She's like, so we may have to move it. And I'm like, that's okay. And I was kind of preparing myself for the worst. Like, I was going to have to wait another six months or something. And she was like, we could probably do the 14th. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's like a week. I'm okay with that. That's, that's totally fine. And I texted my whole family and I was like, all right, how about the 14th? Which actually ended up being one of my sister's birthdays. So (laughs) we were like, and yeah, most of my family came back. My mom and my youngest sister, who ironically was the sister whose birthday it was, didn't end up coming. My mom has uh, a lot of health issues and was still worried about getting out at that point. And so she stayed home, um, which... We're all grateful for because none of us feel like giving up my mom yet. (laughs) So I know God's going to take her soon, but we really don't want it this soon. So, you know, so anyways, the rest of my family came in and I got a chance to stand in the celestial room with basically all my family.
0: What a great blessing. So as you look back on your journey and where you've come, especially over the last two years or so how are you different today than you were for those years that you'd stepped away?
1: Oh wow! Um, I immediately want to say that I'm I'm happier. I mean that's that's kind of a given, <laughs> I guess. I'm happier, but I'm I'm a little less stressed. I'm a little less not stressed per se. I mean, I still have all the same, like I still have all the same issues I had before. I still have a chronic illness. I'm still, you know, doctors still have no idea what's wrong with me. So I'm still dealing with, you know, all of life. You know, I've got two and a half teenage daughters and I gave up drinking. So I'm not sure what I was thinking there, but you know, I'm dealing with it. Okay. Better than I thought I would actually, because you know, <laughs> so, um, but I, uh, I've always had a very optimistic outlook on life. Um, even after I was diagnosed with depression, I tell people I'm the the happiest depressed person you're ever going to meet because I'm always I've always been the optimist. But now it's now it's different. I have I have much more hope, if that makes sense. God has moved mountains in my life in the last two years mountains that I never thought would move in less than two years of me being baptized, I got to feed the missionaries in my house, at my table, with my husband, and that's huge. And it's not something that I could have ever guessed would happen. I mean, he is, my husband's pretty anti, anti our church. He still has a a hard time thinking we're Christian, which is weird, you know, but he was raised that way. He was raised in a small town in Panhandle, Texas, Bible Belt, at a non-denominational Christian church that was positive the Mormons were crazy, satanic people, even though Jesus Christ is like on our building, but you know. And so when I first decided to go back, he had a rule that it was no missionaries were allowed in the house. And so I used to meet with the sister missionaries in our driveway, and I'd feed them at a picnic table in our driveway to get lessons. And then the weather got bad, so he let me have the missionaries inside, just not when he was home. And then I moved to Fort Worth, and there were elders and not sisters. And so their calendar was really empty, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to ask. And I asked. I was like, hey, the missionaries need fed. I have to have a guy here would you be nice enough to eat with them? And he was just like, he looked at me and the only thing he said was, as long as they don't wear their Mormon uniforms.
0: (laughs) Hmm.
1: So I told the missionaries, I was like, okay, so you can't like, he doesn't want you looking like missionaries and he doesn't want you talking about the book of Mormon. So if you're going to share a scripture, it has to be Bible related. And they were like, all right, let's do it. (laughs) And it was amazing. It was like, It was just such a great feeling to sit there at my table with all my kids and my husband and the missionaries, and I just never thought it would be possible. And so there's a completely different feeling that you have when you know that God loves you enough to make something like that happen. It's a different kind of hope and a different kind of ability to deal with the difficulties of life, knowing that you're worth it for him and that he'll be there for you and that he's there for you every day and that you can pray and ask for silly little things like having a day where you don't fight with your teenager and it makes life easier. It makes it easier to deal with the insignificant issues of life knowing that you have an eternal destiny
0: what advice would you give someone who has followed a path away from the gospel?
1: When I first came back to the church, I was called to be a young woman advisor, which is another funny thing that God did because that was the calling he um, that he asked me to do, and I turned down right before I left the church. I thought no one in their right mind would want me, to, you know, want me teaching their daughters when I don't even believe in this church. And I turned it down and that's like, I stopped going to church because, you know, I wanted to avoid confrontation and the bishop was so positive I needed to be a young woman advisor and I was so positive I didn't. And so like right after I got baptized, I got called as a young woman advisor and I was like, okay, I get it. And that was right after, or that was right along the same time as October general conference of 2019 when they changed the young women theme. And I don't know if you guys know the young women theme, but it is powerful and it is amazing. And I got a chance to go to the stake center where the actual young woman president and like one of the primary presidents of the general presidency like came and talked about it. And that was their whole topic of conversation was this new theme and how it was inspired and back when I was first starting to come back to church and you know you're kind of in this place where you don't even know what to pray for you don't even know where to start and I remember that I would just recite the young women theme because it is amazing And it is so divine. And it it almost fit perfectly into what I was trying to find again when I came back, which was amazing since it, you know, it was for the whole world. It wasn't just for me, but it felt like it was for me. So I would tell people to learn the young woman theme. It's not just for young women. It's for everybody. But it's. It's amazing, and it's something that you can recite when you're feeling down, because I did. And it's something that you can recite when you're feeling lost, because I did. And it always worked.
0: So I think what you're saying is within that theme are great reminders of who you are and what your value to God is and who you are and what your destiny is.
1: Yes, and it's it's a reminder that we are just mortal sacks of meat and juice holding a soul that is so far so far more valuable and far wiser than us my soul knew knew who to follow the first time to get here and I just have to learn how to quiet this mortal sack of mine so that she can talk and that she can listen And that she can invite the Spirit to then guide her. I also did that. I remember more primary songs than I thought I did. There were a lot of things I don't remember about the church. So many more than you would think growing up in the church that I just didn't remember. But I remember primary songs. And I would recite the chorus to I'm a Child of God, I think it is, that just says, Lead me, guide me, walk beside me. Help me find the way. Teach me all that I can do. Because that's all I needed. That was my prayer most nights. I was just like, I don't know where I'm going. And it was so scary coming back to the church. You know, knowing that it would be a fight. That it would not be easy. That there would be times my husband didn't want me to do it my kids fought because trying to convince teenagers to go to church is ridiculously hard trying to convince them of god is hard i mean they don't even believe you when you tell them it's cold outside and they should wear a jacket when they're teenagers much less that there's a god (laughs) but that's i just keep moving forward Faith isn't the absence of fear, and it's not the absence of doubt, and it's not the absence of not knowing where you're going. Faith is doing what you know God needs you to do despite all of it. So even if I'm afraid, and even if I doubt, and even if I worry, I just have to keep doing it because he proves that it's worth it because he's moved mountains.
0: Well, you've shown great courage in doing that. And thank you for sharing your story with us. It's inspiring. I know it's difficult. Everything you've been through has been difficult. Certainly, our listeners can learn from you and be inspired by the changes that you've made and the blessings that have come into your life. So thank you for being with us.
1: Of course, I appreciate it. I figured if if anything can come from me being stupid, it's hopefully me uh, helping other people not.
0: (laughs) Well, we do appreciate it. Thank you. Our guest on this podcast has been Jaelan Gillum. I appreciate her sharing her experience of falling away and returning to the Church of Jesus Christ. As in the parable of the prodigal son, this daughter of God learned that the grace and mercy made possible by the atonement of Jesus Christ are available to all of God's children. What a blessing for each of us that the arms of the Savior are outstretched to embrace us as we come unto him. For Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, I'm Eric Egan.